are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, I'll be chatting with Keith Pompey from Locked On Sixers as James Harden reportedly sacrificing a lot of money to help the Sixers build a championship caliber roster. What does that say about James Harden's desire to win and will the reinforcements in Philly be enough to push them over the top? Then we chat with Andy Kamenetsky from locked on Lakers because is Rob Palenka and the rest of the Lakers front office, will they be able to salvage the Russell Westbrook situation and put LeBron James and Anthony Davis in position to contend for another title in LA? And lastly, we'll chat with Doug Norrie from locked on nets as Kevin Durant trade saga. Has it calmed down a little bit? Are there any Kevin Durant suitors left on the market? What about Kyrie Irving or is it just in Brooklyn's best interest to just run things back with those two next season. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. As always, appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is Keith Pompey from Locked On Sixers. You can follow on Twitter at Pompey on Sixers. Now, Keith, we had James Harden who took a, a substantial, reportedly taking a substantial pay cut for this next season. James Harden basically coming out saying, you know what? I, I told the Sixers, do whatever you need to do. Pay whoever you need to pay. Sign whoever you need to sign to put a good roster around me. I'll take whatever is left over. What does James Harden taking a pay cut of this size signal uh, about him effectively? Right, he's it's a two-year, seventy million dollar deal, player option in the second year. So he's basically making thirty-three million this next year, which is well below what he could have made as far as his, his top dollar max amount. What does that say about James Harden himself? His his desire to win at the highest level. You know, it actually says two things. It says, one, that James Harden is determined to win the championship, right? He's taking less money to, to win the championship to help the 76ers build a roster that will get them there. But it also says that James Harden is betting on himself because, you know, when you have a guy like James, well, he's 33 years old, he's coming off of arguably his worst season, you know, since he's been a starter in the NBA, and still he's saying hey look okay i'm gonna take this pay cut and i'm gonna do a a, a opt-out next year or not opt-out but uh you know a, a player option for the next year and you know what i i believe that i'm gonna play to my capability and someone's gonna have to pay me so to me it says two things he's willing to he's doing whatever he can to win the championship but he's also saying don't believe the hype i'm not that guy who's washed and, and I'm going to come back and prove to you guys that I'm worth the money next year. It's crazy that we're saying that James Harden maybe had one of his worst seasons or the, his worst season since becoming, uh, you know, a de facto NBA starter. And he still almost averaged a triple double, right? Put up, you know, basically 20, 10 and 10. And, you know, it, we're looking at that as, you know, that's not what we've become accustomed to from James Harden. He just didn't have that same burst, that same, you know, pizzazz whatever strength to his game that he had when he was you know a year in year out mvp caliber player in houston still kind of recovering from that hamstring issue that's been you know so problematic for him how much of the sixers success though keith depends on the version of james harden that they get this next year oh man i i want to say 70 percent 
I mean, you know, and, and I could go higher. I mean, you know, it's great that they got P.J. Tucker coming in. You know, Daniel House and DeAnthony Melton are going to add depth off the bench, right? Um, but, you know, if James Harden is the facilitator, um, it's not may not go as far as, as they would like. Now, again, you need James Harden to be the secondary scorer behind Embiid, but you also need him in late in the games to take over and become the closer. And if he can't do that, the 76ers aren't going to be as successful as he would like and as, as Daryl Morey and Joel Embiid expect. I, I think that he has to play, find his old rhythm in order for them to be able to contend for an NBA championship. And it seems like James Harden is dedicated to putting in that work. It seems like he's back in the lab much earlier in the offseason than he usually is rehabbing, trying to get his body back to a place where, where he's capable of doing some of the things he used to be able to do and maybe getting back to some of that that tier one vintage James Harden, if you will, that we came to know as you know, a, a year in, year out top five player in the NBA. I'm not saying he needs to be that, but if he can get close to that, then that dynamic duo of him and Embiid could cause a lot of trouble in the East. Now, you ran through a few of those names there a moment ago, Keith, the kind of rotation additions that the Sixers have made here, P.J. Tucker, DeAnthony Melton, Daniel House Jr. Uh, basically, Daryl Morey kind of, you know, creating uh, the Philadelphia Rockets, if you will, kind of, co you know, grabbing all these ex-Rockets, DeAnthony Melton, who was almost a Houston Rocket once upon a time. Of these guys, um, how do you feel about each of these guys, and who do you think has the chance to be the most impactful of that bunch of, uh, of rotation guys? Okay, let's let's start with PJ Tucker. Um, I, first of all, I, I like what he brings. You know, some people may say PJ Tucker, what thirty-seven years old. Um, some people may think that you know he lost it, but what he does is he's like you know he he's a a corner three type of guy. He's a I'm a guard your best forward or sometimes even your best perimeter defender if it's not a point. I mean perimeter player if it's a non-point guard or something like that, right? Um, I, I think that he's the guy that's going to be the most impactful for him because he provides that toughness that the 76ers lacked over the last couple of years. Not only that, he's a guy that Joel Embiid really wanted to play with. He's a guy who's played with James Harden before. So you could say the same thing about Daniel House. But I, I think that what he can do is he could be the one who they both have the utmost respect for, and he's going to be the leader, the guy that brings the – I think he's going to step in and become the glue guy from day one. Now, when we talk about Daniel House, you know, Daniel House is, a, is going to bring something that they don't have on defense, right? He's going to be a, a quality, uh, another toughness guy, but also he's a guy that's coming off of a career-best shooting performance when he was with the Utah Jazz, and that's what the Sixers need. When you have a guy um, of his magnitude coming off the bench, because we know the Sixers are going to stagger it, they're going to basically play a two-man game with Embiid and Maxi or Harden, whoever he's like um, in the game with, and House is another guy who can help stretch the floor to provide space. I don't look at him as a starter right now just because you have Tobias Harris still on the team. But again, when you look at their bench, they lack depth and he's going to help. The same thing with Melton. I think they're kind of like similar. You know, they, they're guys who are going to get after you on defense, but they're also guys, and let's face it, they're going to help James a lot because these are guys who are known for knocking down corner threes and taking corner threes. 
They're not guys that you're looking at just going to say, oh, we got to run plays for them. No, they're going to be over in the corner, stretching the floor and doing things. So I think when you look at the 76ers' lack of depth that they had, the lack of toughness, all three of these guys are going to help out a lot. But I think P.J. Tucker is the guy that's going to get them, hopefully, you know, that they're thinking that's hopefully going to the biggest acquisition that's going to enable them to get out of the second round. You mentioned his name there just a moment ago, Keith, but but Tobias Harris, I feel like he's, you know, at times had a bit of some gray area as far as just what his, you know, some uncertainty maybe and what his future would look like in Philadelphia. So to you, what does the future hold for Tobias Harris? Is he a piece that that maybe needs to be moved or is Philly kind of content at this point with what he provides in conjunction with Harden, Embiid, Maxi, the rest of the guys on the roster? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I like Tobias Harris, right? The thing is, the question is, a lot of people look at Tobias and they look at his input and you say to yourself, but look at all the money he's making. And I think that's where you get in trouble at, right? That's when people think of it. You know, you look at Tobias, if Tobias is making $20 million a year, people are like, oh, okay, he's a great piece in today's NBA. But now the fact that he's making 37 you know, that's where the problem is. Now, I also think when you have James Harden, who plays if, if he's going to be able to play at a high level and then you have Embiid and then Tobias and Maxi, you know, being the third or fourth options, you could flip flop them. I think that that will work out well. You know, I think just the problem is when you have James struggling and you have these other guys doing it, um, struggling, that's when Tobias gets more magnified and people are looking at his production and then they're saying, Hey, it doesn't add up with the money. You know, you know what I mean? But outside of that, I think when you look at him as a third or a fourth option, he's fine. Now, it also helps that you have a P.J. Tucker there who's going to be able to guard better, you know, guard tougher opponents. So now you can take that out of Tobias. But I think that the one thing Tobias is going to have to do, he's going to have to change his game a little bit because he may be more of that catch-and-shoot type of guy as well. Yeah, hopefully with the addition of P.J. Tucker, right, he takes on the, the hardest defensive assignment. Maybe it allows Tobias Harris to get a little bit of a breather defensively a little bit. I've kind of, you know, shout out to all these all these Rockets parallels in play. You know, back in the 2016-17 season, a lot of Rockets fans were upset with Ryan Anderson, who at the time was a good player, knocked down three-point shooter, but he was making about $20 million a year. And a lot of Rockets fans were like, yo, why are we paying this guy so much? And I, f- I see a lot of the similar parallels with Tobias Harris, where he's good at what he does, but he might be, you know, attacked overpaid for what he's actually providing you. Uh, Keith, at this point, is it safe to assume that the starting lineup for the Sixers, maybe it's a little too early to predict it, but I've got to say, we're looking at Maxi Harden, Tobias Harris, P.J. Tucker, Joel Embiid. Is that a pretty safe bet for the starting lineup for next year? Yeah, that's a safe bet, unless Tobias is traded before the start of the season. You know what I mean? But but yeah, um, without that, that's a that's an extremely safe bet right there. It's going to be really interesting to see how these new look 76ers play next year. All this added depth. What version of James Harden will we get next year in Philadelphia? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Sixers. Keith, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thank you, man.
Coming up, can Rob Palenka salvage the Russell Westbrook situation out in LA for the Lakers? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online because BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every single league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, even golf. They've got you covered for everything over at Bet Online. And right now you can take a look at who the 2023 NBA championship favorites are. The Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks leading the way at plus 600 apiece. Then you got Golden State Warriors and LA Clippers both at plus 700. And then rounding out the top five, the Phoenix Suns at plus 900. So for all of that and more odds, head over to betonline.net today to learn more about the trends in action available to you. BetOnline, it's where the game starts. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, as always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Andy Kamenetsky from Locked On Lakers. You can follow on Twitter at Cam Brothers. Now, Andy, the, the latest reporting concerning the Los Angeles Lakers, it looks like, as per ESPN's Dave McMiniman, reporting that the Lakers are unlikely to make a move for either one of Eric Gordon or Buddy Heald until they are absolutely certain that a Kyrie Irving trade won't happen with the Brooklyn Nets. So that's where I want to start first. I want to talk a little bit about those, those two names I just mentioned in a moment, but let's start with just the framework for what even a, a Kyrie Irving trade would look like in regards to the LA Lakers, how does a Westbrook Irving swap look in, in, in your mind? Well, it would definitely require one of the Lakers two picks that they have full control over 2027 or 2029. I think the sticking point, and I want to say sticking point, I think is actually something of a relative term because right now I don't think the Nets would move Kyrie, even if the Lakers were willing to include both of those picks right now. Like I'm, I'm pretty of the belief, and this was something that I talked about with Adam Armbrecht earlier in the week on Locked On Lakers. You know, from Locked On Nets, until there is clarity from Brooklyn with what Kevin Durant wants, how much of what he wants really directly is centered around Kyrie Irving being there or not being there, or I guess a deal for Kyrie from the Lakers that is so good that the Nets just say it would be irresponsible of us as an organization to pass up this deal independent of whatever's going on with Kevin Durant. I don't think that they're going to move Kyrie really under any circumstances. So in that sense, I think it, it could require the Lakers to include both of those picks, which by multiple, multiple accounts, they are unwilling to do. But I also don't think it actually wouldn't matter right now, even if they were willing to do it. You know, it, it does very much feel like Kevin Durant is the one domino for this offseason that has yet to budge or move. And he's the one guy kind of holding up any potential subsequent moves with so many organizations potentially maybe being in play for KD. And they don't want to make any other moves like at the margins until they can figure out where that domino is ultimately going to fall. The Lakers finding themselves very much in that mix, unfortunately, not necessarily for KD, but just waiting to see how that situation ultimately pans out. But when you look at where the Lakers find themselves, Andy. I mean, how much confidence and faith do you have in in Rob Palenka in the Lakers front office to salvage this situation, even if it's not for Kyrie Irving, to have the limited assets to play with, right? The 2027, the 2029 first rounders. And then also you've 
got kind of maybe a bit of a disconnect, some pushback there. Jeannie Buss basically saying that she doesn't want to move those picks unless it feels like, you know, they can outright, outright win a title with those moves being made using those picks. So is there maybe a disconnect going on there? Well, I mean, I, I think the Lakers are in a legitimately difficult spot. And, you know, I, I think the jury is still out on Rob Palenka as a guy running basketball ops, even though he does have a title to his name. You know, the his overall track record, I think, has been up and down in terms of moves that have been made. That being said, they're in a legitimately difficult place. Granted, they are in a legitimately difficult place in part because of decisions that they made and they have themselves to blame for that. But that notwithstanding, they do not have a lot of assets that they can move. There's not a lot of resources in terms of trying to create a deal. And on top of it, you have the questions of LeBron and AD's health. Because the last two seasons and three of the four that LeBron has been with the Lakers, there have been injury concerns. And, you know, those guys have missed time. And in all honesty, for all the focus on whether or not Russell Westbrook is going to be on this team next season and who, you know, who can they get in trying to trade Russell Westbrook and how many picks they include and, you know, is Taylor Horton Tucker going to actually make a, uh, make the type of steps that they've needed from him? Will Kendrick Nunn uh, represent a living, breathing player for the team next season? All of this is secondary to are LeBron and AD going to be healthy and available for the majority of games this season? And if the answer to that is no, none of this other stuff really matters. And the Lakers are in a place where I would think, rightly, they cannot feel 100% confident about that. So that complicates the context for every decision they're going to make. And while it is, while it does complicate those decisions, I, I think even if, if you've got LeBron and AD health concerns aside, which is tough to set those aside, right? I feel like you still kind of owe it to yourself and to them to try and put the best roster around them capable. That way, when if they do, right, if they do have a pair of healthy seasons, right, they're there for a majority of the games, you know, it, it skews on the, uh, the positive side of what that outcome may look like next season for the Lakers. You put the best possible pieces around them to give yourself a chance to win that chip. But I wonder if, all right, so much of this, it feels like caught up in the idea of you've got to like, knock the rust situation out of the park, right? Hit a home run on the rust thing, right? Package him, maybe a pick or two, and you get back a guy like a Kyrie Irving. Would the Lakers maybe not be in a better situation to, to swing to a baseball terminology here, right? Hitting a couple singles or a few singles rather than going for that one home run play with Russ, because it feels like he's he's going to the final year of his deal. He's effectively an expiring contract. Could that maybe not be... I know Russ is used as a negative asset right now, but so maybe there's a team out there. Well, maybe there's a team out there, right? Who could, you know, maybe just use him as a salary dump, right? And then you don't have to use one of those first to unload him. Is that a possibility that you see maybe playing out? I mean, never say never, you know, creative, <laughs> creative trades come out of nowhere that surprise everybody. You know, that, that happens all the time and surprise deals happen just period, whether creative or not. So, you know, the, the league is always unpredictable, and that's great for people like you and me. But in, if you look at this, I think, with grounded realism, Russ is not going to be appealing for the overwhelming majority of teams. Forget just as a salary dump, the, the overwhelming majority of scenarios that we've seen involving Russ in one way or another include a buyout. Like, there has not been a team that has been linked to Russ 
where you have any thoughts about him actually playing for that team. It's really just about getting off their own salary, getting, you know, a pick or two or, you know, a young player like a THT for their troubles and then buying out Russ or just telling him to stay home and eventually flipping him again as an even more expiring deal, maybe closer to the deadline or whatever. But Russ as a player right now is 100% considered a negative asset. I don't think Russ is washed as a player necessarily, but his athleticism is declining and he is maybe the least blendable player in the entire league. Like Russ is not a guy that you just bring in and look to mesh with whatever you're doing. He is a very, very specific player that kind of needs everything built around him. And there are not a lot of teams that are capable of doing that or frankly even should be doing that. So as far as the singles question that you brought up, I think it depends a lot on who the singles are and what it takes to get them because the lake, the singles in a lot of ways I think can more greatly impact a team that is one step away. You know what I mean? Like they're one player away from making something happen. The Lakers right now don't seem like a team that's one step away. Granted, that's all viewed through the prism of last year where everything that could possibly go wrong for them last season did. But the truth is right now their roster, you know, the the moves that they made this offseason, I think some of them are good in their own right. And, you know, they're a more athletic team. They're a younger team. They definitely have an upgrade at the center position uh, this year with Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones from DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard. I mean, there's no question about that. But they still don't seem like a team that is a proverbial piece away. You know, if it's if that piece is Kyrie, you know, that that definitely raises the ceiling. But they have so many issues right now with shooting, with defense, that you do have to start weighing the idea of, okay, if you bring in, say, Buddy Heald, is that making you competitive, like in terms of being a contender? Or is it making you faux competitive, like you're cosplaying competitive? You know what I mean? Like Because the Lakers have to – well, the Lakers really have to think about this, Jackson, because they have so few assets to play with right now. Like they they have to treat every single trade that they make and whatever they include – you know, they can only trade them once. So they have to really think about these things very carefully because they're not a team that has a lot of resources to play with. Yeah. And you mentioned one of those names right there that we had right there at the top, Uh, you know, some rumors being linked to Eric Gordon in Houston, Buddy Heald in Indiana. If the Lakers were to go one of those two options, you know, at the end of whatever this potential Kyrie Irving saga is, maybe Kyrie, you know, eventually is just off the table completely. Which of those two pieces in your eyes makes more sense for this Lakers team would be more appealing to you to try and bring it depending on the value that it would take to acquire said player? I mean, a lot of this depends on the value. Um, It's really interesting because Buddy Heald is more of a wing, at least physically. And the Lakers need much more wing help. Um, you know, they've got a glut of guards and a, and a glut of guys who are basically Eric Gordon's size. So in a lot of ways, Buddy Heald fits physically more of what they need. That being said, though, Buddy Heald's not a good defender. Eric Gordon is. Buddy Heald is a, has the last few seasons, been a good shooter. He has not been a great shooter from outside. His three-point percentages have dropped over the last couple seasons. 
as if you're going by what we've seen over the last couple of seasons, I don't know how much of a better of an outside shooter he actually is than Eric Gordon. So it, it's a weird thing because Heald fits a lot more of what they need on paper. And if nothing else represents a larger body that you could maybe switch with defensively or whatever, but he's not a good defender. And, you know, Eric, Eric Gordon can, I think, do more things than Buddy Heald can do. But positionally, they don't have as much of a need for Gordon as they do for Heald unless they move out a couple of their guards. So it really just speaks to how many questions the Lakers have and you know, kind of the roster mess that they're dealing with. How will the Lakers be able to resolve the situation that they find themselves in? Will Russell Westbrook be a Laker for much longer throughout this offseason? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Lakers. Andy, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Anytime, man. Coming up, all's quiet on the Kevin Durant trade saga front. What about Kyrie Irving? Are there any potential suitors for him? And would it maybe just be the best thing for Brooklyn to run it back with those two next season? We're going to get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. We appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Joining us now is Doug Nori from Locked On Nets. You can follow on Twitter on the Bird app at Doug Nori. Now, Doug, after what felt like so much buzz regarding Kevin Durant, the, the trade request, the saga, if you will, all of that, it feels like it's maybe a little bit dead in the water right now. And I'm sure we're going to still be following the storyline all throughout the NBA offseason, eventually to whatever end it actually comes to. And we're going to talk about KD here in just a moment. But I want to start with shifting our gaze momentarily here to Kyrie Irving, kind of the other half of what the Nets are dealing with right now as far as their future is concerned. First, is there even remotely a world where KD and Kyrie are still on the Nets to start next season? And if not... Right now, who in your mind are kind of the front runners that make the most sense in, in potentially landing Kyrie Irving if dealing him is still one of the top things on the Nets agenda? Yeah, I think Kyrie is almost definitely going to be on the Nets. I think that one, if I were to put a bet down now, I would say Kyrie is going to be on the team. I just don't see the market. They, they briefly explored that. It didn't seem like there was a lot of people interested. Maybe something changes. This is kind of like, as we know, a downtime when it comes to the NBA news cycle. Um, I there's not been much in the way of movement around either rumor wise or just even speculation that Kyrie moves. I mean, he has said that he wants to stay in Brooklyn. Uh, who knows? I, it's like very difficult to believe what he says on a day to day basis. So I totally get that. But just starting with Kyrie and I, you know, I have a slightly different version of this for Katie. But just starting with Kyrie, my guess is that come opening night of next season, October 15th or whatever it is, that he will be on the team. Now, it might only be for one season, and it might be up to the trade deadline or something like that, but I think that he starts the season with the Nets because I think it's just so it, – it's it's mostly just a, an other team kind of thing. Look around the league and see who is willing to – who has an appetite for a year of Kyrie at that money with – whatever risks might be generally associated with him now. And I, so I just don't, I think it's as much about not being a market as anything else, but if, just from a Kyrie standpoint, I, I would say that he's probably on the team. Now you said you had a little bit of a different version of, of that, but for Kevin Durant. So how does that relate back to KD and your gut telling you whether he's going to be on the team or not come opening night of the season? 
Okay, so I guess it's actually not different. I might have misspoken. It's different than what I think the collective NBA narrative is, which is I think they are both going to be on the team start, okay. at, start at the start of the season. I that is where I've stuck with basically for the last three weeks. After like after kind of was completely hammered home when Aiton signed. If Mitchell gets traded to the Knicks because they can offer a huge package, I would further solidify every one of these pieces that falls that could have been attached to a KD deal that moves on. Like Aiton cannot be obviously anymore. Um, Mitchell, it would be hard to imagine a three-team trade where that was where they were able to get enough going back to Brooklyn through a situation like that with that many assets. And so after and then looking at just what the Suns. I've asked a million Suns fans, Brendan Clean, we, Brendan Clean, and I from Locked On Suns did a crossover last week, and I basically said, "What's the best offer?" And basically, there is no good offer <laughs> from the Suns, and so the, they just don't have it. It's not for lack of creativity; it's just for lack of assets at this point. So I'm, I'm still firmly in the camp, and it's been called copium or whatever other you know delusional thinking by a whole host of people. I'm fine with it. That I bo- still believe that the Nets are willing to try to just stand their ground here and run it back. So I, because they're just, I don't think the deal is going to materialize. And so I guess I meant when I said different, I I didn't really mean they're different from each other. I just, I think it's a little different than how some of the narrative has cropped up around this, which is tied almost exclusively to historical stuff when it comes to superstars, you know, historically superstars, when they ask for a trade, they get, they, they get their way and they go to the team they want. This situation is just different to me. So that is, I think, come opening night, whether he is willing to play or not is different. But I just still think that KD is going to be on the team because I just don't think there's been enough real movement anywhere close to teams wanting to do this for him that have the actual assets that the Nets could say yes to. How big of a role do you think you know, the availability right of Ben Simmons kind of plays into maybe being able to coerce KD and Kyrie into one last ride off into the sunset, if you will, right? Because if you've got a healthy KD, if you've got a Kyrie who's, you know, actually available this season, and then you pair those two guys with a Ben Simmons, and then you look at the rest of this Nets roster, it's not a bad roster. Like this team is not in a position where they're going to be a bottom of the barrel team. They've got so many talented players. It's all just about if you can get the stars at the top to be a available and be bought into what they're trying to do. I mean, honestly, this is what makes this whole thing such a shame at this point. Roster construction-wise, at least from a scoring standpoint, this roster is not perfect, but, man, it's really close. Like They have four guys. I looked this up. I did a query in this the other day, but they're – over the last three seasons, the Nets have four of the top 17 players in the NBA when it comes to field goal, uh, three-point percentage with like more than 400 attempts uh, was where I cut it off. More than 400 attempts. They had one Harris, two – or three Curry – uh, Kyrie was 14 and Katie was 17. I think that's, I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's, I know that's really, really close. Um, I think the old Kyrie might be the only one that's off, but, and then you have Ben Simmons who, when it's rolling for him has been one of the very best three point assist guys in the entire league, like driving kick when he has shooters around him, that is actually a core skill set that can space the floor. And then his actually lack of spacing matters a lot less. Right? So in terms of overall lineup construction, just starting from that as sort of a focal point and then moving out and you got, you got a guy like Claxton who can play some defense switchable. You maybe if you, there's anything left in the tank for TJ Warren, like this, te- you know, this team, I didn't even mention guys like Patty Mills that are just decent regular season guys. This team is constructed in a way that could win a decent amount of regular season games. I don't know if it's a championship level. They're probably a, a wing defender away uh, or maybe a real center away, but 
Yeah, man. In terms of their actual, what the, the, the guys that are actually on the roster now, assuming they wanted to play, this is set up really well. I, what do you, because what do you think about this? I, one of my other concerns is what you mentioned with Ben Simmons. I do have a little concern that while on paper, Ben Simmons looks good, like, you know, top 20 player when it's going really, really well. I am a little concerned that KD and maybe to some extension Kyrie got a little look under the hood when it came to Simmons last year. And that is actually part of the, I don't want to run it back with this guy. That's actually the other, that's the one other little piece that's really never been mentioned because I don't think these guys want to throw each other under the bus. But I do wonder if during that whole drama with Simmons last year, Katie was like, no way, man, I can see it. <laughs> like I can see it. I, I can, I can see how this guy's built and it's just not for me. Does that make sense? Cause that's actually, that's actually my biggest concern of, of all of the trades. The, the, the worst, the least of my concerns is actually that he took a look around and said, it's just not happening with this guy. You know, I, I think that's incredibly an incredibly valid concern when you think about it, Doug, because, right, that's that's the one piece, even though we look at kind of where the Nets, you know, quote unquote, fallout kind of started, you know, and a lot of people want to point the fingers at, at Kyrie Irving. And I think rightfully so for some of the damage that he did or, you know, for just lack of availability, whatever, all the stuff that we did, you know, the, the Nets dealt with this past season. But ultimately, that is the probably the biggest question mark at hand because you know what KD brings when he's locked in and, and engaged. You know what Kyrie can bring when he's there and available, right? What version of Ben Simmons even exists to this point, right? We haven't seen him play basketball in a year. We don't know where he's at mentally. All these different questions about what he actually can provide to this team. So that that is a very interesting point that you bring up there. And I wonder if it... It's kind of like the the last thing here, but just you know, are you are you ready to be done with this? Like, are like are you kind of at this point where you want to see them try it and run it back one more time? Or are you just so fed up with it where you're like, you know what, just blow it up at this point, just deal them for what you can get for them, give me the assets? Like, where's your head at as far as what you want to see this team actually try and come out of the situation looking like? Oh man, I'm a hundred percent in the run it back camp, a hundred percent. There's it's actually not even close for me to the point where. I'd be pretty actively bummed for KD to get traded or that they didn't get run back. I understand all the context. Uh, what I mentioned about Simmons, that's not reporting that. That's just, that's like, re that's reading the things that haven't been said, right? No one's ever, these guys, the NBA fraternity is tight. These guys do not throw each other under the bus if they can, if they can avoid it, right? They, they, you will very rarely hear an NBA player speak ill of another NBA player. Correctly so. They're part of a union. They're part of a collective. You've also never heard any of these guys say a nice thing about Ben Simmons. They've never said a thing about Ben Simmons. And I think sometimes thinking about what hasn't been said is, is sometimes as important as what has been said, right? Because no one's ever, he's never, there's not been part of that narrative. Now, even all that being said, I'm still very much in the camp of run it back because when you look historically at the NBA, you need to win the title, you need basically one of the top seven or eight best players in basketball at that time on your team, right? Like that is, that is pretty much set like Giannis, Steph, LeBron, KD, that list of guys over the last decade or so, every one of those guys has been on a championship team, right? Like, and it's been when they've been a top at worst seven player, and it's usually higher. They have that with Kevin Durant. Now, if the goal is to win the championship, you basically punt your chances at winning a championship by trading Kevin Durant because you are not getting one of the guys I just mentioned back in a trade. And that is the group that you need to win. Maybe one day that will be proven wrong. Like, you know, Celtics almost got it done. Suns almost got it done. They didn't. You still need one of those guys on your team. KD is one of those guys. And so as long as you have them, you work your whole 
NBA life to try to get one of these guys on your team. That's the only goal. And once you have them, you have, it's just, you have to do everything to, to run it back. So this is me saying I'm, I do not want them to trade him. I would take an unhappy Kevin Durant back over, you know, a very happy mix of players that are going to come back that are going to be worse than Kevin Durant. So I'm yeah, hundred percent team roll it back. The, the 2022-2023 Nets slogan, hashtag run it back, posited by Locked on Nets host Doug Norrie. Should the Nets be the team running it back this next year? What version, if if any, of Ben Simmons will the Nets possibly be getting next year? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Nets. Doug, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Awesome, thanks. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA. The biggest stories with the local experts.